Is that better? It's amazing how that works. <laughs> Open up your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we have an exciting opportunity this morning as we, uh, as always, as we open up God's Word for us this morning. We begin, remember, as we're looking at the church of Corinth and we're looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. It's a real church, real people, real problems, real issues. If we start thinking that somehow we're not going to have issues, we're not going to have problems, we come to the Lord and that's it, you know, it's a... It's just a rose-covered path. We walk on. Everything's easy and good. We are going to be mistaken. Jesus tried to tell us, didn't he? He said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer for what? I have overcome this world. We want to, in everything we face and in everything we do, in every aspect of our lives, learn to draw near unto Jesus. I remember my uncle. My uncle was uh, uh, dying of AIDS. And while he was dying of AIDS, he was crying out to the Lord. Uh, he had been a Christian, stumbled, fell, made some mistakes, and was paying for those mistakes, uh, you know, with the disease that he got. And, and uh, he called out to the Lord for forgiveness. And I remember one time asking him, well, you know, Uncle Bruce, you all right? Everything's good? And he says, you know, everything is good. I, I had a dream the other night. And in my dream, I was uh, just sitting on Jesus' lap in a rocking chair, and he was rocking me, telling me everything's going to be okay. we got to learn to live with Jesus like that in every day. Not only if we're facing something hard, not only if we're facing something difficult, but to learn every day, just draw near to him. Being with Jesus is the key to having joy every day. It's the key to overcoming the troubles that we face. It's the key in, in so many areas of our life. We learn to just dwell in his presence, at his feet, like Mary, worshiping the Lord, on his lap, just hearing him whisper these words to your ear, because they will never not be true. Everything is going to be okay. No matter what we face or what we're struggling with, everything is going to be all right. Take a look. In chapter 12, verse 1, he begins with these words. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know, when, he, when Paul begins with this phrase, it is a clue. Two things. One, he's about to talk about something real important. And two, it's going to be a problem. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be without knowledge. It's a same root word from which you get the, the word agnostic. You ever met folks that tell you they're agnostic? What that word means in the Greek is without knowledge. I am without knowledge. Most people wouldn't admit that, but some people do. And when we, <coughs> when we take a look at this, he's saying, listen, I don't want you to be without knowledge concerning spiritual gifts. Now, you'll notice that you look in your Bible, the word gifts is in italics. Anytime you see a word in italics in the Bible, it means it's not a, trans, uh, a translation from the Greek. It's placed in there for understanding so that we can gain meaning from it. What it really says is, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spirituals. Pneumaticon. Pneumaticon is a word. And when we think about it, pneumaticon's where we get the word pneumatic. Everybody understands pneumatic tools, right? In case, ladies, you don't. They're air tools. 
air blows through them and enables them to do the function that they need to do. When I was uh, in high school, I got a job with my uncle working in a shop. And he had this air ratchet. That air ratchet is this thing. You pull the trigger and it goes, makes this high-pitched sound. And it turns the bolts on or off, whatever you're trying to do. But the operator of said air ratchet has to be smarter than the air ratchet. That's not always the case. I remember one time, every, I shouldn't say one time, every single time I tightened up a bolt with this air ratchet, it was fast. It had juice, man. It was powerful. And it, it was long and skinny. You hold the bottom, you know, and the head would spin. And I'm pulling that trigger, and, brrr, and when it would get tight, every time it would slam my fingers up against something, and then my fingers would be stuck on the trigger, so it's still trying to slam my fingers up against it. And my uncle would shout over at the other side of the shop, you got to be smarter than the tool, son. got to be smarter than the tool. <clears throat> I retired from mechanics because apparently I'm not smarter than the tool. <laughs> this is the concept behind this word, spirituals. When we talk about the spirit, we talk about the wind. Didn't, didn't Jesus say the wind blows where it wills, but, but you can't see anything. You see the effects of the wind. When we talk about spirituals, and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts today, when we take a look at those things, we need to realize that's the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives and through our lives. And anytime, every time, all the time, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we run into issues. That's why he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. Let me give you an example. There are several things Paul says not to be ignorant about, okay? Uh, one of those is right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Another, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about Old Testament typology. What's that mean? That there are pictures in the Old Testament for every New Testament concept. There is an example in the Old Testament we can look at. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. Folks say all the time, what, what do we want to study the Old Testament for? We're under the New Covenant. Yeah, but all the examples of what God's doing now are presented to us in the Old Testament so that we can see the fingerprint of God, if you will, on the things we face. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the second coming, of the Lord's second coming, when he returns. The rapture of the church. But when we look at some of these things, aren't they issues within the church today? Old Testament typology, the rapture of the church, 2 Corinthians 2. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of Satan's tactics. Some people are ignorant about Satan's tactics. He's telling the same old lies he's been telling since the Garden of Eden. But he's still doing that work. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning Israel. Israel, another area of ignorance within the body. Why? Because some people want to say God's done with Israel. Let me explain to you why that would be bad. If God's done with Israel, if Israel reached a point where they exhausted the long-suffering and patience of God, then what keeps you? God made promises to Israel, unconditional promises that he said he would keep no matter what. Now, because he keeps those promises... I know he keeps the ones he gives me. I know that I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded he keeps me. It's not based on me.
But see, these are all areas. Every time Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, we can promise there's going to be issues. There's things, misconceptions, struggles to understand and to grasp the truth about what God is saying. So as we take a look at it, as we see it, we want to see this through the light of the Holy Spirit. You know, the scripture tells us that we don't need any man to teach us. The Holy Spirit will reveal things to us. He reveals them through his word. As we study his word, that's our foundation, our grasp, the thing we want to hold on to. When are we going to err if we get away from his word? We get outside of God's word and now we can get into error. We stay in God's word, we're solid. We're going to be right where God wants to be. Well, one of those issues that, we, that, that folks have as we talk about the, the Holy Spirit is baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to explain a little bit about what baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. The reason I believe people get uptight about it is simply because of a definition of terms. The word baptism is one of them confusing words. In Greek, it's confusing. It can mean immersed, totally uh, covered in, which is a great way of looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It can also mean to be identified with. So here's the problem. We have some brothers within the church that say, when I give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm baptized in the Spirit. What term are they saying? I'm identified with Him. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in me. And that is absolutely true. It's what the Bible teaches. The other side says, when I need that overflow, that empowering of the Holy Spirit, God's Word asks me to ask Him, and He, Jesus Christ, will baptize me in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when they say that, they're talking about being immersed, overflowing, covered with the Spirit and the power of the Spirit to do the work of the Spirit. And that is absolutely true. They're both saying similar things, not the same thing. They're both saying similar things. And because they don't take the time to define the terms with one another, we have a ruckus and a, and a division, if you will, within the body, within the body of Christ. Here's what we understand about the work of the Holy Spirit. It is very clearly evident in the use of three Greek prepositional phrases. In John chapter 14, verse 17, if you want to flip over there with me. We see the use of the first two. <clears throat> John 14, verse 16 and 17. Jesus speaking says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. By the way, how long does He abide with you? Forever. forever. That's key. We need to remember that. The Spirit of truth, whom the, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him or knows Him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. That word with. We look in the scriptures, we see that word with indicated by the word para in the Greek. It's like when the Holy Spirit is alongside guiding us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says no man comes to the Father. No man comes except that the Lord draws him. How does he draw us? By his Holy Spirit. Alongside of us. He's not inside us yet. He's beside us. Like a pitcher with a glass of water sitting next to it. He's beside us. He's going to lead us. And, if, and when we get saved, we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And we look back, we can see the fingerprints of God around our life. How God directed us to this place or that place. How did I ever end up in that church service? How did I ever end up in this opportunity or in that place? 
and in the place where God did his work. Well, it was uh, <clears throat> the work of the Holy Spirit and para, being alongside, being with you. The next phrase is that next part of verse 17. He dwells with you and will be in you. It's a Greek preposition, in. It means to be inside. The Holy Spirit comes inside the life of every single believer the moment they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here he's talking and he's speaking of the disciples. He's promising them a helper, right? The helper, one that's going to complete them, one that's going to give them the strength to be who they need to be. Up until this time, the disciples are a group of losers just like us, right? They fail, they mess up, they have all these issues. But something dramatically changes, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden, everything is different in their life. In John chapter 20, (coughs) excuse me, after the resurrection, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. Did they receive the Holy Spirit then? Oh yeah. Jesus don't say something where it doesn't happen. What's it say in Genesis 1-1? God said, let there be light, and what happened? There was light later on, some other time, or when God said it. When Jesus spoke, receive ye the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was inside. So we see that second part of what the Holy Spirit does. We give our life to Jesus Christ. He is a seal, a guarantee that we belong to God. He enters into our life and he becomes a part of our life. But then there's that third Greek preposition. And we want to take a look at the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 verse 49 Jesus again speaking after his resurrection to his disciples. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Epi. Upon you. If you want to picture it in a picture, it would be like, remember I told you that we got that pitcher of water and a glass beside it? That is para. We pour the water in the glass. That's in. Water's in the glass. Epi being upon is to hold that pitcher and just continue to pour it. And the water overflows from the glass and affects everything around it. That is what that phrase, para, the upon, means. Overflow of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. I will send the promise of my father, Epi, upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until what? You are endowed with power from on high. Remember when Jesus came to John to be baptized by John? And John was talking to the, to the groups around him, and he said, There is one coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, and he will baptize you how? With fire and the Holy Spirit. That's the work that Jesus does. He's the gift giver. He gives that gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they were told to wait, right? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you flip over to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 with me, Scripture lays out for us. Verse 8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Folks, when we talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the equipping 
the power of the Holy Spirit, recognize that this is the context from which it is used. What was the purpose? The purpose was so that we could be his martus, witness. Martus in the Greek, same word from which we get the word martyr. In Romans chapter 12, doesn't he say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present yourself a living sacrifice, martus, a living sacrifice, a martyr, not a martyr who's dead, a martyr who's living and empowered by the Spirit to be his witness. Prior to the overflow, the epi of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples, they had problems, right? Moments of greatness followed by hard, difficult struggles in their life. But after the resurrection and after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes through the church like a rushing wind and empowers them. All of a sudden, it's not the same Peter anymore. Peter's different. Peter's different. The people on the day of Pentecost, they look around and they see people speaking in tongues. And they understand them. <coughs> excuse me, in their own languages. But then what happened? Peter stepped up and did what? He taught. He preached. Peter? The same Peter, always putting his foot in his mouth, always having issues? Yeah. He gave a great message. What happened on that day? 3,000 souls were saved. What is the purpose of the overflow or the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives? We can be witnesses so that we can affect the world around us, so that we can bring people to Christ. So when we look at it, we need to recognize that. Secondly, the other thing you need to understand is having or, or experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life does not make you spiritually mature. It doesn't make you spiritually... What do you mean? Well, Paul's going to tell the church at Corinth that they came short in no gift. They were experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But he also tells them they're carnal. He tells them they're carnal because they think the goal, they thought the goal was the gift. But what you need to realize is that the gift has a goal. The goal is not the gift, but the gift has a goal. What's the goal? For the edification of the body. And we'll see that as we continue going through chapter 12. Now, don't panic because you're thinking right now, Jackie, you've been talking a long time, and I don't even know if we got through verse 1 yet. <clears throat> I don't know how far we're going to get, but we're not, I promise you, going to get through the whole chapter. Uh, so, in, in fact, for the next four, maybe five weeks, this will probably be our, our subject as we go through chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15, as Paul teaches on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and their functioning and working within the body. So bear with me as we <coughs> continue to go through. So we don't want to be ignorant about the spirituals. The spiritual things, the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit that drives us, the tool of God, the pneumaticon that, that works within our lives. And then he goes on to tell us in verse 2. Let's take a look. Verse 2 he says, Now you know you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. Now, by the way, that word dumb doesn't mean stupid. It means they don't talk. Mute. Remember Psalm, I think it's Psalm 119. I could be wrong, but it lays out for us that men make idols with their own hands, eyes they have, but they cannot see, and nose they have, they cannot smell, mouth they have, but they cannot speak. 
And then he makes sacrifices to a dumb idol. And he who worships him becomes like him. We become like the God we serve. So as we take a look at what the scripture are laying out for us, he said, listen, you one time followed these dumb idols. Mute. You thought maybe you're hearing from the, the word, but Paul told us earlier, what's the power behind the idols? He says demons. There are demons behind. There is a true, real, demonic power in the world. He exists. And he's happy that nobody believes in him anymore. That's all right. The Word of God teaches that. In fact, tonight as we go through the book of Isaiah, we're going to be talking about his fall and what took place as a part of that fall. Well, as we take a look, you're carried away by these dumb idols. However, you were led. They were drawn they were drawn by whom? Not by the Holy Spirit. They were drawn by the, the prince and the power of this world. Drawn away into areas of deception. Folks, anytime we look at our life and we recognize, we should start to recognize the voice in our head. We should start to recognize it because when God speaks to us, he doesn't speak to us with an attitude of fear. He doesn't come to us with this great fear that I need to be afraid. He comes to us with an overwhelming peace. Who comes with fear? The enemy. He whispers in your head, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to overcome. You can't do these things. It's a spiritual battle taking place in your life. Ephesians chapter 6 says, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fiery darts of the enemy? With the shield of faith. I lift up the shield of faith. What does that mean? I trust in God. I trust. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I trust in God. And we extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. We extinguish what he's trying to do and how he's whispering in our life. But we've got to recognize the tone of his voice. If he's speaking in fear, it didn't come from the Lord. It doesn't come from him. We want to be able to understand fully what God's doing. Well, these men at one time were drawn away. False idols. False worship. But look what he says. Therefore, I need to make known to you, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. Now, I don't know how it was for you, but I grew up, <coughs> excuse me, as Calvary chapels were, were just kind of beginning. I was in high school. And I used to tell my dad, who was an assistant pastor, hey, man, I, I'd like to go check out this Calvary chapel. A ton of kids were going to Calvary chapel. And and they were talking about the, the gifts of the Spirit, and that was something I never heard before. And so I was kind of excited about it. I tried to talk to my dad about it. My dad would sit down with me, son, now listen. And my father had come up in a Pentecostal movement, but he had heard this story. Maybe some of you have heard it as well. That somewhere, sometime, in some church, someplace, someone spoke in tongues, and there was someone there that could understand it, and that person was calling Jesus accursed. What does the Bible say? No man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And so we had this fear flow through the body that, well, I need to be afraid of this. I need to be afraid of this gift. I need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit because what if that happens to me? What does the Scripture say? No man speaking by the Spirit of God will call Jesus accursed. Now, that doesn't mean someone who isn't won't. But when you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit, and you need to keep in mind this, as we 
continue through the study in chapter 14, you're going to hear that the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You know what that means? That means I am in control of when I do, what I do, how I do it. That's why Paul said all things will be done decently and in order. That was one of the issues that was going on in the church of Corinth. They were out of order and everybody trying to take their part. And Paul says, no, no, no. You have control and this is the way it ought to flow within the, the function of the body. But we'll get to that when we get to chapter 14. But I just want to address that. Hey, no one, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, understand, when he's talking about no one can say, he's not talking about just being able to speak the words. Anybody can say anything they want to say. But the concept is to make that surrender. When you say, everybody, a lot of people want Jesus as their Savior. You get the difference? He's my Savior. Save me from my sins. I love that he's done that for me. But when he's my Lord, that means I have presented myself to him, surrendered, and he is in charge of my life. And whatever he brings in my life, whatever he allows in my life, is his plan for me, and I'm going to be okay with it. That is when he is Lord. Curios. That, that concept of, the, in fact, it was something that they, the believers in the early church had to take a pinch of incense and use this exact same word, curio, and say, Caesar is my Lord. And they wouldn't do it, and millions of them died because of it, because they had one Lord, Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. He's the one to whom I am submitted, committed, surrendered. That's what that speaks of. The ability to surrender ourselves to God indicates <coughs> the Holy Spirit working in our life. The Holy Spirit empowering our life. I talk to folks all the time and they say, Jackie, my, my walk with the Lord is kind of complacent and I, I feel like I'm not going as deep as I want to go. I, I want more of the Lord. I want, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of these things working in my life. Well, let me tell you how that works. You don't get more of them until you give up less of you. You got to give up control in your life to receive his working inside your life. I can't be holding on to the control saying I'm doing this whole thing. And at the same time say, I want more of the Lord. It doesn't work. What is it that John said? I must decrease and what? He must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. I need to surrender. I need to give myself to him. To him. Not that I'm out of control. Again, scripture lays that out for us. But that I am giving up control of trying to fix all the issues in my life. And I need to learn to lean into Christ. Amen. He is in control. Don't be afraid of the sovereignty of God, of God's ability to carry us through, to guide us through, to carry us from A to B. God does that work, and we can trust Him. But what if it's hard? It probably will be. Isn't that what Jesus said? He didn't say, come follow me, and everything will be hunky-dory. If that even exists. I don't even know how to translate that into Hebrew. But you get the idea. Hey, we want to surrender ourselves, empty ourselves, and be able to truly say, Jesus is Lord. I submit to Him. That's the concept. I submit to Him. I give myself wholly 
<coughs> completely, utterly to Him. Everything that I am, everything that I'm going to be, all that I have. Well, here's what happens sometimes. In working and taking a look at spiritual gifts, we fall into two errors. Error number one, the spiritual gifts are not for today. They ended. Doesn't it say in chapter 13, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. We prophesy in part, we, we uh, speak in tongues in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So the gifts aren't for today. That's one error. The other error is overemphasis on the gifts. What did Jesus say that the Holy Spirit was going to do? He wasn't going to shine a big old light on himself. Everybody wasn't going to leave <coughs> leave the room praising the Holy Spirit. They're going to leave the room praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything that the Holy Spirit does points to Jesus. Everything leads to Him. Every part of it is a part of equipping us to be a witness. People get all caught up in all these fringe areas within the gifts. But listen, the goal is to be a witness. There are times in my life, guys, when I walk in, I'm at a gas station pumping gas in my truck or something, and a guy pulls up next to me, and I feel the Spirit of God tell me I need to share with him. My ability to either do it or not do it depends upon whether or not I have been endowed with power overflow of the Holy Spirit in my life. It doesn't have anything to do with, with all these other issues. It's all about, I want to be a witness. I want to have the strength, the power to stand up and say, hey, brother, you know Jesus Christ and not be embarrassed about it. Where does that come? By our own willpower? No. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what happened on the day of Pentecost? Folks, we can get all focused on the gift of tongues. And we're definitely going to talk about the gift of tongues. I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe the gift of tongues is for today. And I speak in tongues. However, it is listed last every time it's listed. Why? Because it's not the main thing. It's not the most important part. The most important part is that I am being a witness for Jesus Christ. Be endowed with power so that you can bear witness, so that you can bring the light, that you can reflect the light of Jesus Christ, and you're not afraid. When, the, when Paul, Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit, what did they do? Sometimes they spoke in tongues, but what else? They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts says, and they taught with boldness. The same guys who wouldn't stand by Jesus at the crucifixion, the same guys who fell and were kind of lukewarm most of, their, most of their existence, but in the book of Acts, they're beaten by the same people that crucified Jesus, the same people that, that put Jesus on the cross. They beat him and they say, you leave and don't you ever talk the name of Jesus again. And on the way out, they pray, Lord, give us boldness. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and with boldness. Okay, that's a move of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And that's, we need to keep emphasis or emphases on the right place. We need to keep it, keep the main thing the main thing. Remember, that's our goal. He, he, he wants us to be witnesses. Isn't that what he said? Go to Jerusalem until you are endowed with power, so you will be what? My witnesses. My witnesses. We want to be his witnesses. We want to move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, as I shared... People get these misconceptions and they think they understand what the scripture is talking about. Remember, I told you the other half, the church I grew up in, they told me that the gifts of the spirit were gone. 
that they didn't exist anymore. They ended at the apostolic age when the canon of Scripture came into being. That which is perfect had come, and that which is in part had been done away with, so we don't see those gifts anymore. Really, we don't see the gift of teaching. Or the gift of administration. Or the gift of giving. Or the gift of helps. Well, no, yeah, those are still around. It's just this arbitrary list (coughs) that I'm uncomfortable with. Those are all gone. Listen, here's what the Word says. When that which is perfect is Jesus Christ. We will function in the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus comes back for His church. At which time, we won't need to anymore because we'll be with Him. And so that will be, oh, glorious day. That would be a great day when we come to that place. So those are the errors. What do we, we need to realize, folks, more often than not in life, the river of truth runs between the two banks. You guys with me? Here's what I'm talking about. You want a perfect example? Calvinism and Armenianism. Calvinism and Armenia. What's Calvinism teach? Sovereignty of God. Is the sovereignty of God true? Absolutely true. Is God sovereign in all things? God is sovereign in everything. What do Armenians teach? Armenians teach that there is free will operating within the life of the believer. Does the Word of God teach that? Absolutely does. What's the error? If I'm too far on one side or I'm too far on the other side. What's the reality? They both exist together. Why do we have such a hard time with that? Why do we think we have to be able to reconcile everything about God in our minds? We can't even understand the Trinity. Does the Bible teach it? It surely does. In Genesis, the first chapter, every time God's name is listed, it's plural. Why? There's a singular word in the Hebrew. Why is it always plural? Why does God use the word echad for himself? Echad, which is the same word used of a husband and wife being one. Now, Kathy and I are one, but we're, we're separate. We're different, yet we're one. The same word used of God being one. Why? Because there is something about God you and me and nobody else can wrap their minds around. And if we could, he probably wouldn't be God because we would be able to understand every aspect of him. Can we accept that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man? That's what the Bible teaches The Bible teaches he's fully God and fully man. At the same time, both are true. At the same time, God is sovereign and there is free will. Both are true. We need to recognize that as we take a look at these issues within the spiritual things of our lives, that there are aspects about God that can both be true at the same time and we don't have to reconcile them. We don't have to reconcile them. How's that work? Well, I don't know. And I know guys who have been going to school for like 57 years who have PhD and MD and MDiv and all these letters at the end of their name. And you know what they say? The same thing. I don't know. I don't know. There are some things about God that we can't grasp, that we can't put our hands around. We got to learn to be okay with that. We've got to learn that that's all right. It's all right. They both exist at the same time. We can (coughs) experience the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit that sometimes is is overemphasized on one side, and we can use the restraint that is overemphasized on the other side and find the truth of how the Spirit of God works right down the middle. That's how it is. And that's what we have to be 
willing to recognize. I have to be willing to understand. Well, he goes and says, now listen, listen, verse... Boy, we're really not going to get very far. So, verse (laughs) 4. I was planning on a lot more than this, I tell you. Uh, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now, folks, we just looked at three aspects of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that you really got to hold on to and understand. Now, in verse 1, I told you the word gifts wasn't there. In this verse, as we took a look at uh, verse 4, the word gifts is charismata. Charismata, that's what the word gifts is, where the whole concept of the charismatic movement comes from, that word, which is made up of grace, charis, grace. This idea that we are graced by God, given gifts, through which he does his perfect will and work through us in this world today. There are three things. Look at it. He says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus is the Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all a part and all throughout the scripture. Do I understand how it works? No. But it's here, and I believe it. I accept it. Can I, can I make some loose understandings of it? Sure, right? We talk about time has past, present, and future, and that time doesn't exist. If you remove any of those three, it's not time anymore. Time has to have past, present, and future. Maybe you can use that as an example. People use egg as an example. People use the sun. You see the light. You feel the heat. You know, you see that, use that as an example, but the reality is all those fall short. They all fall short of being able to explain who God is. Listen, there are diversities of gifts. There's another place in the scripture, this exact word is used in terms of gifts. Now here's what I'm going to lay out for you. We're going to look at gifts, ministries, and energies. (laughs) Gifts, the first section... We're going to see specifically mentioned in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. I'm not trying to say that these are the only gifts. I think other gifts are mentioned throughout the scripture. But we want to understand those three areas. Gifts, ministries, and energies. Gift, ministry, energy. That's what he's talking about here. So as we take a look, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 4. We flip over to Romans chapter 12, and this is what he says. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given to us. Do we all have the same gifts? He says right here, having then gifts differing, Based on what? What, what? what makes our gifts different? Based on the grace <coughs> that is given to us. Who is in charge? God is in charge. Does God want to give good gifts to his children? Absolutely. Does God want to empower his children to be his witnesses? Sure does. Does God want us to enter into a real relationship with him that's far better than anything we've experienced so far? Sure he does. He wants all of those things to take place. 
But at the same time, while He's sovereign, what does it depend on? Our willingness. <coughs> our willingness to surrender. Our willingness to say, Okay, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. I want everything that you have for me. Look what he says. He says, listen, we have these gifts given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, let us use it ministering. He who teaches in teachings. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I'm not trying to say that this is a list of every gift. Because I take you to the book of Exodus and show you where God says, I gifted these craftsmen with artistic ability. God says, I gave them the gift to make the tabernacle, to, to do the hangings, to make the carvings. I gave it to them. And he calls them by name, Belial. He's my servant. And I gave him those gifts. So... When people talk about gifts, they're not usually talking about their ability to woodwork or they're not talking about artistic ability. Why? So we don't want to focus always on what the Bible says. We want to go to extremes. What does the Bible say? Let the Bible guide, let the Bible direct, let the Bible speak. The Bible is able to tell us what's going on. So having a diversity of gifts. Here's a list of gifts. Now you're going to see them overlap with energies. It just is the way in which... Uh, that gift is, <coughs> excuse me, empowered as we look at the Holy Spirit. So, we have these gifts. Exact same word. Charismata, Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Charismata here in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 4. Then, we take a look at verse 5. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Differences of ministries, servants, opportunity to serve. You know, we don't have to go look very hard for that. We go to Ephesians chapter 4. We should be familiar with that, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Ministries. Now, when we talk about ministries or ministrations, we're not talking about titles. So you've got to get this concept of titles out of your head. If you're looking for a title, your heart's sideways anyway. It's all about presenting yourself to God and allowing God to do the work. I'm not coming for a title. I'm coming to fulfill that ministry. Pastor, shepherding, teacher, obvious, teaching, an apostle, that one which is sent out. Sent out. We see people fulfilling the role, not the title, the role apostle. We send folks out into the mission field. We see them fulfilling the role of of these things. We see them fulfilling the role of prophets and evangelists, right? Some people have the title evangelist because it's so evident. Billy Graham would be one of those guys, wouldn't he? I mean, we don't have to ask ourselves about that. But if that's the title we're looking for, there's an issue in our heart. We want to be willing to fill the ministration. So if the Lord gives, lays on my heart, he's given me a gift, the gift of exhortation, and the ministry or the ministration of teaching, and I go in to Sunday school and I sit down and teach a five-year-old about the move of God and how much God loves him, I've been energized, gifted, and I'm filling a ministry for the Lord. That's how they work in conjunction with one another. We have a gift, we have a ministry, not a title. A, a, <coughs> a Sunday school teacher can every, be every bit of a pastor, a shepherd to, to his or her flock. Yeah. 
Every bit of it. It's not a title. They're filling a ministry. They're, they're fulfilling the concept that the Lord lays out for us. These are that which has been given. Why are they given? For the building up of the body, right? For the building up of the body. The, these gifts are, are so that we can build up, stir up, and cheer up. That's what the scripture lays out for us. The word of build up, stir up, and cheer up. That is how that ministry is to be focused. That's the direction that we move. That's what we want to, <laughs> that's what we want to see working through our lives. And then the last section we talk about, the third section, there are diversities of activities. The word in the Greek, guys, is energema. Energema, same word from which we get the English word energy. Energy, activities, operation, the power. That's the air and the tool. That's that which drives us, that which compels us, that which equips us to do the work of ministry. What's the work of ministry? Build up, stir up, cheer up. So as we look at that, as we see that's how we want to move. It's how we want to function. So when you look at the gifts, recognize that there are three things within the gifts that work together. Diversity of gifts, diversity of ministration, and <clears throat> diversity of energy. But they function together. What did the scripture lay out for us as we took a look? There are diversities of gifts, diversities or differences of ministries, the same Lord, diversities of activities, the same God who does what? Works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for what purpose? The profit of all. It's not about selfishness, not about me, it's not about mine, it's about the profit of all. And before we, every time we come up into this, some questions come up. Here's one of them. Well, I don't know, I don't think God's given me any gift. Well, let's back up and read that verse again. But the manifestation, by the way, that word manifestation means to be made visible or observable, of the Spirit is given to, what's it say? Each one. That's everybody. It is given to everybody. Now, does everybody have the same gift? No. Nope. Everybody doesn't have the same gift. Does, does anybody have all the gifts? Nope. First Peter chapter 4 says nobody has all the gifts. Do people have a gift and that gift stays their gift for all time? Well, we don't see that in Scripture. We don't see it in Scripture. What do you mean? Well, Paul, for example, at one time in his ministry, people just allowing the shadow of, of him to walk by or taking his handkerchief would be healed. But then we come to Epaphroditus. He couldn't heal Epaphroditus. We come to Timothy. He couldn't heal Timothy. Well, why not? Because who is the one who gives the gift? God. Who is in control? God. It's not me. It's not for me. It's not so that my name can be in lights. It's not so that everyone will know who I am. It's so that everyone will know who He is. Who the Lord is. We need to realize, okay, everyone is given these gifts. These gifts work in our lives. These energies will flow through us. They equip us to be the witness that God wants us to be. They enable us to fulfill ministry. Do you guys know that there are people trying to do ministry Hopefully not here, but all around the world, they're trying to fulfill a ministry, whether it's a standing as a deacon 
or you know, doing a home Bible study or whatever the case may be that feel burned out. That means that that ministry is being function or working in their own strength and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know that, Jackie? It was simple. When Moses was called of God, what did he see? He saw a bush burning. Was the bush consumed? The bush was not consumed. The fire of God was around that bush and Moses went and he talked to God. God said, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground and that bush was not consumed. We present ourselves as a living what? Sacrifice to God. What was the key in sacrifice? Fire. Many times from heaven. What is our God? An all-consuming fire. He burns in our life. Will he consume us so that we don't have anything left? No. It's done by his power. If that's not the case. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that we're trying to function on our own strength and not on the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're, if we're feeling <coughs> like we don't have the strength to continue in ministry or do more in the, for the body of Christ. If God's calling us to do more, He wants to equip us to do more. So what, what do we need to do? How do we receive? How do we have the Holy Spirit in our life? Jesus told His disciples, guys, in the book of Luke. He said, if your children come to you and they ask you for bread, do you give them a stone? If they ask you for fish, will you give them a scorpion? They said, no. And He said, well, then if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. We make things way harder than they have to be. <clears throat> there was a time in my life petrified to share my faith. Petrified to talk to somebody. I would get embarrassed. I, you know, I'm not trying to say right or wrong. I'm just saying that's where I was. I was embarrassed. Now, I had already manifested the gift of tongues in my life. And I had already manifested the gift of prophecy and some of the other gifts that we're going to study as we go through this study. But I didn't have what I thought to be something where I fell short. The power to be His witness. I had put focus in a lot of other places, but forgot to be His witness. Now, how does it work? Let me tell you how it works. Because I didn't pray... Guys, I didn't go, Lord, fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. And then, I wish it would have been this way. And then, feel the fire of God coursing through my veins. And the words that I was supposed to say, filling my mind. And the strength to walk up to that person I was afraid to witness to, fill my legs. When I finished praying, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit in accordance with your promise so that I can fulfill the work that you've laid out for me. And I said, amen, I felt exactly the same. Man, I was scared. But do you know, God keeps his word. So I went, I went over to this person, petrified. Don't know what I'm going to say, but I, I'm going to hold on to the reality that I have to do my part. I walk up and I open my mouth and I begin to share. And he asks some questions and, and that leads to other areas. And the next thing I know, I got 
scripture coming to mind. I'm, I'm sharing stories. I'm, God's just organized this whole thing. And all of a sudden I realized that God answered my prayer. He gave me what I needed to do. Just because I didn't feel it doesn't mean that God's not there, that he hasn't empowered me. It means I need to step out in obedience and have faith, believe that God has given what he said he would give. Lord, make me your witness and then step out and be a witness. And God fulfilled that call in my life. And I'm okay with, the, with how the Lord works. Other areas of my life, guys, I know you've experienced it the same way that, that Kathy and I did. We sat around Cindy, we laid hands on her, we poured buckets of oil on her head. We prayed for God's healing every single week. And I'm sure you did the same thing for Brent. And we had things up all over the wall say, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe that God is going to do a healing. We trust and we have faith and we pray and we pray and we pray. Here, folks, are you okay if God says no? Who's the gift giver? God. Sometimes God says no. Now we might say, God didn't answer my prayer. No, he just didn't give you the answer you, you wanted. But he answered your prayer. He answered your prayer. He just said, no. Are you okay with that? I remember talking to Joey Baran and Jeremy Camp. Maybe some of you guys know who Jeremy Camp is. He's a Christian recording artist. And when I was a youth pastor at Joshua Springs, he was just getting his start. And so we were working on booking him to come out and do a youth conference at the church. So I had talked to him a couple of times. And I pick up the phone and I called him and he answered the phone, Jeremy Camp did. He was in Mexico uh, <clears throat> undergoing treatment for his wife. They'd only been married, I didn't think they'd been married a year. And she had cancer that had come back and she was in trouble. Things weren't going well. They're doing whatever they could. But, you know, so I called him and I prayed with him and I talked to Joey Brand. Joey Brand says, you know, I'm okay. I'm there and I'm going to pray for healing all the way to the time the Lord takes her home. But I refuse to look at spending eternity with Jesus Christ as second place or somehow second fiddle or not good enough. Being in a place, being safe with the Lord is not second fiddle, second best, first loser. So he said, listen, I'm going to pray. And if God says no, I'm okay. But I'm not going to be afraid to pray. I'm not going to be afraid to ask. I'll be okay but I'm not going to be afraid to lift out, to do that work. And <clears throat> next week, as we go through the specific gifts, we'll go through specific uh, the energies, the gifts, administrations, how they work, examples in the Old Testament, examples in the New Testament, what God's doing, how God's doing it. It's going to be exciting. But as we look at it, those are the things we're going to see. Folks, God still accomplishes His perfect will. In every aspect, God still accomplishes his perfect design. And God knows what he's doing. For we know. Not we think. Not we hope. For we know all things do what? Work together for good. To the called. Called according to God's perfect design in our life. All things work together. Everything comes into our life for our good. God's glory. We got to learn to be okay with that. And not be afraid, not be afraid of the gifts, not be afraid of the empowerment, not be afraid of the situations we face, but to trust him. 
As we go through, you know, faith is, a, is an energy that God gives? Sure it is. Faith is an energy. Prophecy is an energy that God gives. We're going to see all of these things as the Lord moves. Healing is an energy that God gives. And He does give it. And it is for today. And we're okay. We can believe it. We can pray for it. And we can trust that God knows what He's doing. And align ourselves with Him and allow Him to do His perfect work in our life. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. I promise next week we'll do more than six verses. But I wanted to, uh, I did want to kind of slow down and just take our time going through it and just really see. Be open to what God is, is speaking to your heart. Be open to what God wants to do in your life. Recognize, I want more of the Holy Spirit than I need to give up more of me. And the more of me I give up, the more of Him will replace the me I give up. We want to come to that place where we want, desire, the scripture says, earnestly desire the best gifts. You guys know what the best gifts are? The best gift, it's like going to a shoe store, right? What happened if you went to a shoe store and you said, I want your best shoes? What's he going to say? Here's some ballerina slippers. (laughs) He's going to say, best shoes for what? Well, best shoes for hiking. I'm going to go hiking. Well, here's the best hiking boots. I'm, I'm playing baseball. Here's the best cleats. I'm, I'm in dance. Here's the best dancing shoes. What's the best gift? The one you need for the time you're in, for what you face. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Earnestly desire God moving and equipping you for the, for the challenge it lays before you because he wants to do it. We don't have to be afraid. For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of, of a sound mind and a power. Don't be afraid. God will carry us through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity that we can just really seek you. Seek your face. Seek your, your perfect work in our lives. Lord, and as we begin to study the spiritual gifts, gifts given through the Spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ, in our lives. We wouldn't be afraid. We wouldn't be worried. But rather, God, we would come to you and say, Lord, I have a journey that I have to make. It's not the same as everyone else's. And there are things I need to complete my journey. And God wants to give. So, Lord, may I be willing to come. May I be willing to ask, Lord, I need the overflow of your Holy Spirit in my life. Yes. Thank you, I need you <clears throat> filling me to overflowing so that as you flow out, you affect those around me. Yes. But God, it, it needs to be you that affect them, not me. It needs to be you, your spirit. Because when you do it, all glory will go to the Lord. All eyes will be upon him. Yes. Everyone will see the face of Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we come before you tonight and as we close and we prepare to go and and enjoy uh, some pancakes, Father, we want to come prior to that as we close in this last worship song. 
As we have uh, prayer counselors come on up. God, we just want to provide an opportunity. If there's anybody here this morning and they feel like they need that empowerment, all we need to do, if any of you lacks wisdom, what did James say? Ask. And he'll give it. If you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to come up, see our prayer counselors, pray, pray the prayer of faith. And then go forward, understanding that God keeps his promise and he gives us the energy that we need. Lord, we lay this time before you and we seek (coughs) your blessing and your anointing upon your people. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And as the worship team is coming up, and before everybody runs out, uh, can I get the board of elders to come up, please, to the front? (coughs) Um, There are, and I don't know how many folks all together, but there are certainly a few... Uh, people that are facing uh, currently a battle with cancer. Um, I won't call you out by name, but I would like you to come up in accordance with the word, uh, anoint you with oil, the elders to lay hands upon you, and to, to pray for you. So if, uh, if this morning, you know, that's true of you, if, uh, if, if you don't want, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but if you'd like to come, I'd like you to come on up and and allow us to do that and pray for you as we go into this last song. So um, if you want to come, come on up. This song is called, Yet You Are Holy. And it sort of points out what Jackie was teaching.